Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer <laughs> Podcast Network is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. I really, really hope that ZipRecruiter can help get the Red Sox a couple setup guys. I do not trust this bullpen other than Craig Kimbrell. Help us out, ZipRecruiter. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within a day. They're the best at distributing your job to the best boards, identifying the right people, inviting them to apply. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets for sporting events, concerts, and more for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, Major League Baseball, soccer, NBA, music, whatever you want. You know what to do. Use promo code BS. I use it for my LAFC season tickets. Had to sell some yesterday. It was super easy. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Wanted to tell you about our new music podcast. It's called On Shuffle. It is hosted by Micah Peters. We have spent two years trying to figure out what the right music podcast would sound like. We finally figured it out. It has something for everybody. It's available for subscription right now on Apple, on Spotify, on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It's launching this week. And we should mention Cousin Sal's coming up in a second because... I mean, it's one of the greatest days of our lives. Uh, but Against All Odds has now taken a new form because it looks like gambling is going to be legal in America, state by state. We'll talk about that with him in a second. We'll also talk to Ethan Hawke, who came in on Friday and one of the most fun podcasts I've done in a while. If you loved the Before Sunset movies, Sunrise? Sunrise is the first one, Before Sunrise. If you love that trilogy, if you love Reality Bites, if you love Denzel, I mean, this has something for everybody. If you like movies, I would implore you to listen to this one because it's really good. Hey, last but not least, Zach Lowe and I are doing a home and home. I'm on his podcast today. So if you listen to the Low Post or if you're a subscriber, it'll be in there today. If you're not a subscriber, go subscribe to Zach Lowe's podcast. We're talking Celts, Cavs, Rocket Swears, and a whole bunch more. And, uh, and then he's coming on mine next Monday. So stay tuned for that. Uh, coming up, Cousin Sal, Ethan Hawk. But first, Pearl Jam. All right, on the line, a guy that I have been doing a podcast with for 11 years on Mondays, going back to the fall of 2007 on ESPN. We started playing Guess the Lines on then the BS Report, then we brought it over to the BS Podcast. He now hosts his own gambling podcast on the ringer against all odds. He has introduced the degenerate trifecta to the world. Uh, together we have lost, I can't even fathom how much money. And now we can lose money legally, Cousin Sal. What a day. This is the greatest day of our lives. Yes, yes. You're looking at it the wrong way. It's not how much money we've lost. It's how much we are now going to lose because gambling has been legalized by the Supreme Court. God bless them. So robe-wearing geniuses. <laughs> I, knew, I knew we liked the Supreme Court. Uh, so <laughs> what this law really is, is every state, can decide on their own whether they want to legalize gambling or not. And they would be yeah. foolish not to because of the taxes that they can get out of it. California, I did some I did some quick 
research right after this happened. California is, is the bill is out. They're like ready to roll on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to England for the Olympics in 2012. And there were these parlors all over the place, William Hill and a couple other ones. And, and you just kind of walked in and they had all the odds there and you did a betting slip. It was no different than lottery or Keno or any of the stuff we see here at some of the convenience stores. And I remember texting you and being like, I can't believe we don't have this. These people yeah. are just walking in and betting on freaking soccer and the hundred yard dash. This is crazy. Why can't we do this? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited. We're going to be able to run into a 7-Eleven, grab a parlay card, and I'm going to be able to call you and say, hey, what do you think of Joey Chestnut over 77 and a half hot dogs with Roger Federer uh, to win the Wimbledon? Like, th- this is the greatest thing, and, and no one will laugh at us. We're no, we're no longer the nerds. We're no longer the outcasts. We're no longer – I do worry that we're going to lose a little more of our – and that, like, I have to reevaluate my uh, – like, like – financial planning for the rest of uh, the it's last a good idea. 10 years. But it's a good idea. I don't think though is, is now that California, you know, legalized marijuana is Snoop Dogg any higher than he was in 2003. I no. don't think so. No. Right. right. Yeah. The marijuana we'll be- didn't bring down the state of California. It might've brought down nephew Kyle, but it didn't bring down the state of California. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. Um, no, he's here. He got, we had an early podcast today. See, he's fine. The, uh, the, the, so here's what I'm really both delighted about, excited about, and worried about. So mm-hmm. there's like a, there's a 7-Eleven probably two minutes from my house. Right. Is this going to be one of those things where I'm driving home from work and I just, I'm like, <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm in the 7-Eleven parking lot because I want, I want to see what's going on with the February NBA action. I'm actually kind of worried. <laughs> no, don't be worried. Okay, no, good. Well, we're going to, first of all, it's, it's, it's never, listen, we have access. We do it over text. Yeah, we do it legally. We do it sometimes illegal, but yeah. whatever. We, we, it's that's how that's how it's going to be worth okay, it to good. any of us. Yeah. So it'll yeah. be the same situation like we had yesterday, where I was texting you in house <laughs> saying the Celtics odds are off. the The odds should be even for this series, and we should jump on this because Celtics Warriors is plus three eighty, right, for finals, and we have this huge Cavs Warriors bet that we made in like September. Yeah, yeah. It's like plus 120. And you were like, no, no, we're golden. Let's ride this. Right. And you talked me out of it. Now, in fairness, you did point out all the other mistakes I've made during the playoffs. Yeah, you're not allowed to uh, uh, give us seven straight losers. Or no, that's not true. No, I didn't give like, you losers. you guys. You didn't let me take the Celtics when I want to take the Celtics. <laughs> I, I don't think you're allowed to do that. I didn't give you seven straight losers. I gave some winners, too. What about Philly, sure. Philly and five against Miami? All right, Philly and five was a winner, yeah. But Philly to win the East was supposed to be our hedge against this uh, this Cavs to win the East thing, and now the Celtics look like uh, look, look like the uh, I don't know. I, I can't even speak right now. I'm so excited about the Stanwick thing. <laughs> I gotta say, with the Philly thing though, I especially watching the Cavs yesterday and how easily the Celtics were able to just do whatever they wanted in that game. Now that game yeah. was a little bit of an aberration, but it really did make me appreciate how good Philly was. The Celtics. At no point in the last four games even had a double-digit lead, I don't think. They might have been really? up. Maybe they were up 10, but they had to scratch and claw. And then you go back in that series and you think, like, they were down 22 in game two. Uh-huh. They were down five in overtime with, like, two minutes left in, in game three. And, by the way, if the guy hadn't stepped on the line, they lose the game in regulation. Right. And then in game five, they were down four with 90 seconds left. And if Reddick hit the three with a minute left, they lose game, I'm sorry, game five 
So that is basically five plays that decided three of the five games in the series that swung them. And I, I think my point is, I think Philly was really good. And I, I bet Philly was watching that game last night going, God, we would have killed the Cavaliers. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. I sent you something like, you know, when LeBron loses game one, the last time he's lost game one, the last seven times he's won, won the series. But I will say, I was a little surprised. Cavs still favored to win the series minus 150. I think at worst, this goes seven. I mean, Boston's such a good home team, no matter what you want to say about LeBron, um, you know, rising from the dead in some right. of these games. Well, if, we, you know, what if, if you have Boston plus one thirty going into Game Seven, you could you could uh, do what we never do and hedge. I would think this can't right. go any less than seven. I think. Yeah, and that was a bet that we discussed all week, and of course, never did anything with. But it huh. was seven games was plus one ten, and it could go either yeah. way. Right. I I think the Cavs are in a lot of trouble in this series, and the reason that the odds are not reflecting the talent the overall talent difference between the two teams is because LeBron has now turned into the Cowboys or the Packers or some of the teams we see in the NFL, right? Where uh -huh. the, the Celtics should be favored now. They have home court and they're up 1-0 and they dominated game one. They should at least be like a minus 150, but that's the power of LeBron. People are like, ah, oh, LeBron will figure it out. And that's he might. It. I mean, I guess because they're favored in every game and uh, they're, I guess the Cleveland's favored by a point in game two. I mean, it's not okay. rational is my point. We've seen, as we've discussed a million times, and we're going to be discussing legally now, if, if mm -hmm. as soon as California happens, like the, the books, Vegas, whoever's doing these spreads, their job is just to get an equal amount of money. And if they right. perceive that the power of LeBron is so ingrained in people at this point, that even if they're staring at facts in the face, they're still going to ignore it because LeBron's on the other team. I, I feel like that's where we are. You know, yeah. it's a little like the Celtic, the uh, Patriots Eagles Super Bowl, where that line was too high. Remember, yeah. we were like, "This is a three point game. Why, why are the, why are the Patriots getting an extra point and a half? It was just because it was Belichick and Brady." But that's right. that line right. should have been three. Um, these I'm are all. You. Now I get to have these conversations with you in a Seven Eleven. <laughs> Do you feel like is this a small victory lap for us? I love giving myself credit when I don't deserve it. I, I'm trying to remember in 2007. You know, now it's like Scott Van Pelt gets credit for bad beats. We were doing bad beats last decade. Right. Um, exactly. Who else was exactly. who else was there? Who is at the forefront? Are we we're not George Washington, but we might be like Thomas Jefferson for this. No, right. No. We are uh I mean, we're at least Chris Christie, right? <laughs> I mean, God bless that fat bastard. He got this through. I'm gonna sell I'm I I need to send something. I need to send an yeah. inevitable arrangement with everything covered with chocolate his way, because he is the man. He could rule our state. He could rule our country for all I care. What a, what a is, legend. This is a huge thing. He's legendary. Yes. Yes. He stepped up in the biggest, biggest way of possible, possible. So and, when we, uh, when yeah, we no, started, listen, I went back, I was in college. I was like peddling parlay tickets for uh, some <laughs> local hood. I was like, I had brass knuckles on once. I had to chase down a guy like this, 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 this is crazy. This brings it all together. Like, this legitimizes everything we've been talking about, like you said, for years. And I might cry. I'm going to be honest. I might cry right now. <laughs> well, we met, I remember Jimmy flew me out September, 2002 to try to try to hire me for the show. Yeah. And you and I were hanging out in the office and we, we didn't know each other at all. And I think you were under the instructions from Jimmy, like, just be nice to the Simmons kid. We're trying to hire him. <laughs> yeah. 
and something like that. You didn't even really need to because within 20 seconds we were talking about whatever that football, whatever the weekend's football and parlays and teases. And we just, we fell in man love immediately. Yeah. I moved to LA. We would, we, we shared an office with the legendary Tony Barbieri, AKA yep. Jake Bird. Mm-hmm. And you and I had desks next to each other. I would, I would be on weird emails and sites. You all of a sudden I'd look up, you'd just be standing over behind me reading whatever email I was sending. Um, I would leave my desk. You would walk in and then send e- send emails to other people from pretending to be me. But we would just yeah. sit there and talk about gambling all the time. Yeah. We just had a lot of time remember, to kill. Do you remember? I mean, of course you remember this, but, and here's why it's so important because people, People are reluctant to gamble on these offshore accounts because, God forbid, what are you going to do if you win the money? What if you win $12,000, $15,000, and then you have to chase it down? Then you have to find out something about this entity that you love that you may not want to know about. You know, right. So you have, to, you have to, what are you going to do? Are you going to fly to Antigua and, and, and chase down this ghost company for fifteen grand? That goes away now. Remember all that nonsense? I forgot what the bet was, but you oh, I remember like something. No, I remember what it was. But we won't mention uh, which we won't mention which account it was because it's no, they know who running. they are. They know yeah. who they are. Those scumbags. What was they, the bet? It was a basketball game, and instead of minus nine, they put plus nine for the favorite. Mm-hmm. So we basically bet whatever the max was on the plus nine. Yeah, and then they switched it to the right line, so we bet the other team at plus nine. Yeah, we hedged on it. We, we hedged on we it. Had, we had both counted, sides. They only counted the hedge, which of course lost. <laughs> right. They wouldn't let us. <laughs> they voided the, the first bet because they said it was a mistake, and yeah. then they didn't void the second bet. And then the second bet lost, and we lost all this money when they made the mistake. And then they wouldn't give us the money back. But this was 2003, and it was basically like that Ben Affleck Justin Timberlake movie. What was that you movie? Runner, Runner. Oh yeah, Geely. No, I don't know. Oh, that was something else. You didn't you you had some other thing though where you took like the field. There was some kind of weird bet where you took the field and then they claimed that no, this team wasn't part of the field because we ended up adding them in uh the teams that you could bet. I can't even remember. No, what it I was, think it was it was like a Super Bowl touchdown bet or something. It was the field, but they was it? they yeah. claimed yeah, it was something shady. But these days are over. Now I get to argue with some random dude behind the counter at seven eleven or store twenty four. Exactly. It's great. So exciting. So it's the greatest. It's the greatest. So, but who, who else was in there though? In the, in the early, it was, I feel like it was us, Hank Goldberg. Remember Hank, Hammer and Hank was just on there forever. Uh, Yeah, sure. Some of those dudes from the nineties, those those Stu Finer, all those terrible gambling shows, those infomercial shows. The line was the greatest. Yeah. Stu Finer, uh, Jim Feist. Was he another one? Yeah. All those Uh, dudes, they're all in there. And then, you know, at ESPN, people can't believe this now, but I wanted to write a football gambling column for them every week and they wouldn't let me. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let me talk about gambling at all. And then eventually I scrapped. And then when I came back in 04, um, they would only let me do it for the playoffs. And then in 04, they allowed me to start doing it every week. Yeah. But well, they were like, no, we can't go near this. This is the, we can't touch this with a 10 foot pole. And then I, within I, 10 years, yeah. you were on SportsCenter giving picks. I was on SportsCenter, but even then, they would just wanted to dip their toe in the water. And I've told this story before, but I was in the two years I was on, I was like 12-3-1 with my best bets in 2014. In 2015, I was 13-3-1. Yeah. Uh, they let me do an extra week. And no one, they were hiding me. They didn't want anything to do with it. It is and true. Like, Yahoo was writing stories about it. I was like, hey, 
you're getting scooped by your own competitor here. And they right. like closed the door and they told me, they're like, listen, you can't, we, we, let's, we pay $5 billion for the worst game of the week. We can't right. have the, we can't have the NFL mad at us. We have to kind of do this tongue in cheek. And, uh, all I have to say is, uh, I'm not available ESPN. That's it. That's that ship is sailed. <laughs> Simmons and I are on the bigger and better things. <laughs> well, uh, one of us is Thomas Jefferson. The other is yeah. John Quincy Adams. I don't know where we are, but I feel like we're the founding fathers. Of I this will be George thing. Jefferson. I feel like I'm be, right. a bunch of dry cleaners in, uh, <laughs> in uh, downtown New York City. I Before you go, I'd be remiss if we didn't give our top five candidates of people who are going to be involved in the first legalized gambling scandal. Uh, number one for me is the long snapper. They make the least amount of money. All they need to do is fuck up two snaps and swing a game and they could have a hundred friends put on, you know, 1500 each and just everybody swear each other to secrecy. The long snapper is the most dangerous right now. Right. Oh, I hadn't thought about this. This is really good though. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, Um, Number two, I would say is in, in football, the, uh, the line ju- the guy the judge who's the lineman who's back who could just call pass interference on every play basically mm-hmm. that yeah. guy that guy I think is a threat I mean the NFL referees aren't even working full time jobs right right they're no, they're, yeah, no, they're paid like half half the time yeah they may have to tighten that up a little bit now and then That's uh interesting. and then I think left handed relievers I'm really worried about left handed relievers That's yeah pretty specific these spot left handed well because they make they always make the minimum. Mm-hmm. They come in, they only have to pitch to like one or two batters and they yeah. could just wreak havoc in the eighth inning of a game. They're always in, in high leverage, you know, late innings, guys on base. I could right. see them doing something. Who else do you have? Anybody? Yeah, the guy that mops up the sweat in, uh, in the NBA. He could maybe have an edge on something on, on the court. Oh, um, the guy who could hear stuff? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, soccer referees are always suspect. <laughs> oh, I just assume um, they're gambling in the games anyway. I didn't I didn't even add them. Right. I, I just right, assume right. they're corrupt. That's a, this is an excellent thing to uh, dive deeper into. Yeah, I have to, have to figure that out. By the way, but, Sal, yeah, don't don't count don't count us out either. <laughs> 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 By the way, all your conversations with GMs the day before the, uh, the the last regular season game that we've never been able to uh, capitalize right, on. <laughs> oh, we, we should... this one sitting everybody. <laughs> yeah, that all sit everyone's playing. College, yeah. I think, is another dangerous one. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's gonna somebody's gonna go haywire in college. You know, they may, may now have to pay some of these college players. The, the money might just be too much where they can't even, they, they themselves, the, the, the league's uh, NCAA can't well, even deny it, I don't think. I know you and I both hate, hate paying taxes. Yeah. If, if, if we had like a successful 2019 or whenever this starts and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I've won, you know, $12,500 on sports game when this year you have to pay taxes on that. That would be I'd, huge. I I'd be really proud. Yeah. I'd be really yeah. proud. I'd be like, <laughs> just tell my, tell my business guy, like, Hey man, I had a big year. We got to factor it in, factor it in on your taxes, whatever the cut is for the 12,500, right. the 1099 for him. Wow. What a day, Sal. All right, right. I'm getting choked up, man. We did it, buddy. We did it. It's a 15 year odyssey for us. Um, yeah. You're going to cover. Don't be greedy, leagues. These leagues are, are threatening to take 1% when, you know, 
football, for God's sakes, to, to pretend that gambling hasn't uh, sparked interest in the sport, and now you're going to take 1% and you're going to tighten it up to such a position where it's not going to be worth it to legalize gambling. Right. Uh, don't do it. Now's not the time to be greedy. Please. And and we're open for business if for, for any new uh, gambling site that's legal in whatever state if they want to advertise on a podcast. Absolutely. You know, some podcasts get snobby about it. We're not snobby. Yes. If you have a good no. product, we're, we're happy to be involved. Because uh, it's out, take your victory lap, pour champagne on yourself. And then against all odds on Wednesday, you're going to do a, a mega show and maybe even yeah. have somebody who, who understands the law who might explain. Yeah, I'm have someone explain uh, why we should be this excited or maybe if we should be at all. I don't yeah, know, but yeah, someone, we're going to have someone talk about the preakness uh, and uh, lots, lots, a lot of good stuff. All right. The cuz, good job by you. Good job by us. All right, buddy. All right, see you later. Hey, before we get to Ethan Hawke, the captain will not rest until he has brought his adventurous spirit and delicious rum to every corner of America, original spice, coconut, pineapple, white, black, grapefruit, whatever you want. The captain loves anyone who learns how to mix like a captain. Who else can be the captain this week than Brad Stevens, the president, the man who figured out how to beat a more talented Philadelphia 76ers team? In five games. I still don't know how he did it. Pulled out-of-bounds plays and weird defensive adjustments and rode 20-year-old dudes and did everything there was to do. Everyone went nuts that he didn't win this Coach of the Year award, which actually wasn't the real Coach of the Year award. It was just this random award that coaches voted on. I actually think he is going to win the Coach of the Year. And if he doesn't, it's a travesty. That one is voted on by, I think, 125 media members. But then goes into this Cleveland series... He figures out how to do switches when, you know, all Cleveland's entire offense is LeBron, somebody sending a pick for LeBron, LeBron getting a switch, and then it's either a mismatch or LeBron can take the dude. And the Celts threw this wrinkle at him, which Kevin O'Connor explained beautifully on The Ringer today, where they, as soon as that switch happened, the guy, the smaller guy in the mismatch would get somebody would run over and they would do a switcheroo before they could really set it up. And it was just brilliant. And then they were attacking them. They're running on everything, building a wall to prevent LeBron to uh, get to the basket and just had so many different adjustments and tweaks. It was incredible to watch. And it's been incredible to have him around. So Zach Lowe and I, in his podcast today, we, we go into detail on the Celtics and Cavs and a whole bunch of more, but I wanted to give my man, Brad Stevens, uh, the captain, of the week because not since the early days of Belichick can I remember a coach swinging, you know, the underdog thing that like this, this should not be happening. This Celtics team is really talented, but they are just too young and too undermanned to be doing this. And uh, he says he doesn't want credit for what's going on here, but he deserves it. So do the, so do the eight guys who are carrying this team and playing their, their asses off. And the home crowd has been incredible too. It's been great to watch. Who knows? They might make the finals. Brad Stevens, you're my captain of the week. Coming up, here's the interview I did with Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke is here. We're taping this on Friday, late afternoon, May 11th, something like that. It's running next week. Yeah. I've been waiting to do this with you. This is exciting. I said to you when you walked in, I feel like I've known you my whole life almost. Well, like since Dead Poets Society, what was that, 1989? Exactly that. And then you just continue to make movies that I enjoy. And now it's, well, we're 30 years later. It's my job. But when I saw, I was reading uh, somewhere and it, it said, uh, 
your daughter's going to be in Stranger Things. And I was yeah, like, wow, that makes me feel old. That was well, my reaction because we're like a year apart. It's it's just reality. I mean, it, I know. It, it's important to always remind yourself when you have that thought that the option, the alternative would be to not be alive. <laughs> right? You know, you, you can't like stay still, right? You can't like live in formaldehyde. And it is weird. I get this myself. I don't know if I'm allowed to, you know, these things are so weird, but so my daughter had her first day on Stranger Things the other day. Yeah. And, and the, guess what was playing in the movie theater in the background of her first day at work. Oh, cause they go backwards. Well, no, no, it, it's, there's a, there's a poster at the movie theater. What was it? The Explorers. Wow. <laughs> You're first, so they did that intentionally. They must've, yeah. I saw her, what are they, what do they call headshots? Cause in the story, I was like, I just, I don't know what happened to the nineties, man. We just they were fun. The nineties were great. Yeah. You were a big piece of the nineties. Well, couple of, couple of the movies me. you made. Because you know when, and I want to go through some of the movies, but um, it was pre-internet. Yeah. So like nice a movie to be famous pre-internet. Well, but I a movie sorry. like Reality Bites comes out, yeah. and I felt I was just out of college and like singles and Reality Bites and mm -hmm. kicking and screaming and mm -hmm. before. What was the first Sunrise, one called? Before, I can't always get it mixed up now. But before, like those kind of movies, it was like. Wow, there's other people out there who feel like I feel. Yeah. This is great. And now we have the internet where you're just everybody feels like how you feel. You know, you can find Maybe. a message board Still or a hard blog to find or anything. Yeah. You know, I was kind of, I have to admit, I'm a little high on myself as we talk because, yeah, yeah because I just saw some list of somebody doing the like best movies of the 90s. They're doing a wrap up of the 90s. I had three. Did you really? What yeah. were the three? Uh, Reality Bites before Sunrise and Gattaca. Really? Cool, how many huh? people are on the list? I mean, how many movies? Like 100, 50, uh, 25? I think it was 25, yeah. That's pretty so good. I'm kind of proud of that, you know? Gattaca's kind of become underrated because so many movies came out from 96 to 2000. It was like this boom. And yeah, some of them and, slipped and through the cracks. Was, well, it it slipped in the cracks of one of the last time periods where studios were really making art films. Yeah. And nowadays, that's just a bona fide art film is what Gattaca is. But it was released as a big studio sci-fi movie yeah and because of that it bombed you know because it doesn't have a gun in it it's not thrilling you, you know but as a actual work of art as cinema as art it's actually really valuable i mean I, i'm really proud of it and the movie people have the they've movie adopted people have that one later and i kind of figured you know i do a lot of plays and so i can kind of it's i keep my foot in the the water of what movies last because you yeah. can always tell by which ones people want you to sign they come in with their what you do you know, mean sign? Like a poster? Like, like a, a poster, oh. a, an image, a DVD, a, some memorabilia of, you get a sense of what films have, are maintaining a place in the culture and which ones are forgotten. Oh, this is great. Cause I'll just do this now. We'll just rip through them and then we can talk about sports. Okay, And I cool. can find out why you All never, right. you never officially made a sports movie. God, I'm dying too. What the hell's wrong with you? Oh, I'm dying too. And I've almost- You've made like how many movies now? 50? Hey man, I'm telling you, it, it, look at this face. You know what it's starting to say to me? Could have been a basketball coach. Could have been? No, for What the movie. hell's wrong with you? Right, right. Could have been. I could have been a basketball player. Now, <laughs> well, now I'm playing the coach. Yeah, now you just, you're the coach. You totally cock-blocked me. I was saying, look at this face. Does this not look like the face of a basketball coach? You could have been a spot-up shooter. Well, no, yeah. You could have been an Eddie. I'm going to play. Why weren't you an Eddie with Whoopi Goldberg? Come on. Uh, uh, or know. any of those. There, let's could have been it. like in Like Mike. No, no. There aren't very many great sports films. No. And this is a passion if, of mine. If, I mean, my dream is to get 
either the Dennis Hopper or the Gene Hackman role in Hoosiers. Oh, in the right? remake Shooters. Or Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Yeah. So but you want to be Shooter and Hoosiers. I want to be, I don't, not literally, but just a part like that. Those, yeah. those characters were so rich. And uh, what are some of the other great sports? You know, one of the, my other well, favorites. Now you're, pre, you're, now you know, you're in my Breaking wheelhouse. Away. It's one yeah. of the great sports films of all time. I love that. What's the hockey one with Kurt Russell? I love that one. Miracle, which yeah. is actually getting better as the years pass. That's a good film. And he's, he's good in Miracle. He's a really fine actor Kurt yeah. Russell and um and you can tell he's a jock you, you know I mean you can tell he cares about sports and I yeah. think that radiates what's the other one I really like I like Denzel and remember the Titans uh yeah you're just kissing his ass why no, should people love that he's one. great no it's great no I like remember the Titans I liked it what it, okay. I think it's interesting because but what's give me one of your favorites. Well, so you have these different eras, right? So like when we were growing up, all of a sudden Rocky launches this whole boom yeah. and they make one took boxing lessons like the next yeah, Monday. Yeah, yeah. remember that? You're Rocky, playing yeah. the soundtrack uh -huh. and you're sparring in the living mm -hmm. room. And it went all the way through and we had like slap shot and fast break, which is the posters right behind you and yep. uh, victory. Like they did, they won for every sport. Victory, yeah. And then it kind of peaked with the, the natural and Hoosiers and, and then yeah. we kind of went into the kids' movie realm. Yeah. And then we kind of did the Disney, Remember the Titans, the Rookie, all that realm. Yeah, yeah, and now yeah. it's like the very kind of focused hyper. I'm not hyper, uh, hyper focused. Like, uh, did you, you ever see Fight the Fighter? Or Fighter with Tom Hardy uh, yeah, and uh, it's a good one, the UFC. Yeah. It's like those no, type of movies. Nolte's great in that. Creed is a very strong film. Creed's great. You know, um, I did do one sports film that it, nobody in the whole world has seen, but it's an excellent movie. I'm really proud of it. It's called The Phenom and it's about a pitcher and I play his dad. Oh, it came out like two years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Am I, it, was I supposed to see that? No. Hey, I'm telling you, I'm really good? proud of it. Yeah, it's an excellent film. I mean, it's a strange film because it's actually- it's a little bit like ordinary people meets the natural or something, you know, it's not, it's much more humanity than it is baseball, Yeah, but it's, it's interesting about sports and it's a good, well-made film. Really? Yeah. It's one of my favorite characters I ever got to play. What sports part were you the most jealous of? Like at somebody, same point of their career, like Jerry Maguire, do you see that one? And you're like, oh man, I would have loved to have done the sports agent. Mm, no. No, you don't see Tom Cruise and think, oh, I want to do that. It's like, he so owns whatever part he's playing. That's a good point. It, 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 the, I, what did Especially in cocktail. I mean, well, cocktail, how do you flip the bottles that, I think that. there's better use of his time than cocktail. <laughs> but uh, but uh, let's see, which ones did I want to, would I want to play? I remember, you know what popped in my mind is you said, it's not really a sports film, yeah. but they talk about football a lot in it. And in Dazed and Confused, I, when I saw Dazed and Confused, I wanted Jason London's part so Ugh. badly. And I, 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 I just, I picked his performance apart for, I don't know, eight years. Because, and then luckily I met Richard Linklater and I stole Jason London's parts after that. But. So that was, that was 93, right? Yeah, I was going to say that I was, think. yeah, that yeah. was right before you did the first one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, you literally did still have Jason. Lewis no, I did not. I, I I did other movies with him, but I, <laughs> that was a, I really, and I'm trying to think there's some other, other good ones. Yeah. That is kind of a sports movie. That's not a sports movie. I know, Days I know, of it, it, yeah. it has one of my it's favorite. It's a spiritual sports movie. It's a, it has one of my favorite moments of it, it, movies. It, it captures that good game, good game, good game, good game. Yeah. I spent my whole life doing that with guys. And, and you know, like you just, you know, you're playing whatever Metuchen or whatever school I was playing or whatever. And you have to do this good game. Good game. And you're all, you all hate each other. You can't look at each other in the eyes. You don't even care. Yeah. yeah. Just, good game, good game, good game, good game. <laughs> I've been really, my son's 10. So we've been basically ripping through the classics 
And most of them don't hold up that great, but Bad News Bears are breaking training. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Of course, yeah. That's we've watched that one That's a few a good times. Film. It's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's like 40 years old, but still really solid. The Astrodome's great. The baseball scenes are great. Um, thank hey, you, you know it's a good baseball scene. Did you ever see Boyhood, the movie I did? Yeah, yeah well, I, was, I was ready to talk well, about there's, it. Well, there's a scene in Boyhood that was one of my favorite days filming, which is that Linklater and I, we snuck in to the Astro Stadium. You know, we get the cameras. We bought 20 seats, yeah. the whole crew. So the camera, we all just bought a little section because you know, we couldn't afford to really shoot in yeah. there or anything like that. And I'm telling you, this is because... Linkletter is a baseball player, lives, breathes baseball. And um, and he got this weird look in his eyes. He's like, you know what? There's gonna be a home run. I've, and, and he looks his way. This guy, he's gonna, I forget who is it but you know, this guy's this guy, this guy's lights out. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna nail this one. And we got the film, and he hit, he hit home run, and we were filming, and the camera swings back, and Eller Coltrane and I are sitting there, and we're just ecstatic. <laughs> you could never act that. Yeah. You know, they actually hit a home run and we actually got it on film. It was one of my favorite days. That's filming. awesome. By the way, he made a great baseball movie like two years ago that I think is gonna, as the years pass, is gonna become like what happened with Dazed and Confused. Yeah, everybody oh, wants everybody wants them. Oh, definitely. That movie is oh, I wanted really to be in that good. Movie too. I was like, why can't there be a good coach part in that one? But he was like, Do you no. think he? Yeah, he he wants to like ration, ration, ration me. Ethan Hawke. Well, yeah, you know he's got to dish a few out to McConaughey. Yeah, he's got to like, yeah, people. he's got to no. take care of the no, others. Well, I just have to be humble. All right, so 1985 Explorers. Yep. What That's what's what's your life like at that point? You, are you going on well, auditions? What are you doing? Where are you living? I'm living in West Windsor, New Jersey. I just finished. You know, the summer training camp of the, I was trying to make the JV football team, you know, as a freshman, yeah. getting my ass handed to me. And I, they were having these big open casting calls for this movie. And I'd had a friend who used to go into New York and go on auditions. And I went on some auditions and I got called back and I got called back and I got called back. And eventually I had to go and tell my coach that I was going to go, I was going to drop out of school and make a movie. And he was just like, <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> I was like, no, I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be in school on Monday. I'm, I'm going. And he, I remember him. He just looked at me. and said, "Do you realize what a huge mistake you're making?" And I, and I, I said, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "If you make JV this year, yeah, okay, you're going to definitely be varsity your junior year, okay. And if you're varsity junior year, you can be kicking ass by senior year." It's like. You don't get it. I, I don't care about this right. team. <laughs> yeah. You're really missing the larger point here that that was really important to him. And it wasn't really important to me. That was my life at that time. And that was it. Yep. And then it was off. That was you. You. you no, it was, not, that it was not it at all. I went and made this movie Explorers. Uh, it was a wild experience because for the time it was like a $30 million movie, which yeah. is really like a $100 million movie or something. And people thought it was supposed to be a big hit. And it was a big flop. And it was... Uh, kind of devastating. It was a flap. Yeah, I don't and it was. That. Uh, I really felt like it was my fault. Yeah. Um, that I clearly was because they took a big chance on me. This unknown kid from you know a high school in New Jersey to cast him in this big Hollywood picture, and then the story was that you know just well it didn't work, and I didn't know how I felt about acting because I'd been very excited about it, and. It took me a long time to find my way back to it. Not a long time, but it took me a couple years to uh, put myself back together. And and I auditioned. I got interested 
I got good again my senior year of high school, started doing it again, and, and I auditioned for a theater school, and that was my ticket to a good college. And, and then I ended up getting a part in Dead Poets Society and dropping out of college. Which was a monster movie. Which was a monster That was the movie. opposite of whatever your experience with the Explorers yeah. was. But what's funny about it for me, and I think it was actually how you know, the Lord moves in mysterious ways, it was actually really a blessing because... I didn't really believe the success of Dead Poets Society for like five years. I just, I was, all the other young guys were so amped about, oh, the movie's going to be huge and stuff. And I was like, guys, it's not going to be. Yeah. It, every movie they say this, it's not going to be. And they're like, no, actually, it's getting really good reviews. Don't worry. It's going to be a bomb. No, actually, like, it's not made for best picture. It's a bomb. Um, you know, uh, and uh, it actually should have won best picture, if I remember correctly. Well, Didn't you lose to Drive Miss Daisy? I think so. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah, that did not hold up. How do you well. remember that? And I don't. I, that, that didn't hold up wrong. No, no, no. And you I, know, Oscar travesties are a big part of my life. Yeah, well. No, for some reason. We that, should have bigger travesties. It came up, it came up recently because we, we do this podcast called The Rewatchables, where we rewatch. We didn't oh, yeah. do Dead Poets, but, but I remember should, for, but something about that year. And we were like, who won that year? And we looked it up and we we're like, Driving Miss Daisy. When was the last time anyone had a conversation about that movie? Not in any positive light. No. They sometimes might make fun of the movie. Right. Because it's not quite what it was pretending to be. But Well, Dead Poets was great because I was with Robin Williams from, you know, Mork and Mork from Mork on Happy Days, not even Mork and Mindy yet. He right. originally was on Happy Days and then had this and started to do movies and World According to Garp and wasn't Never really found film. the perfect role. Well, yeah, I love Garp, but I don't. I think it's considered to be not like a. Yeah, no, people didn't like it, and people weren't ready for him as a serious actor. Right, and he's it, a really it, good serious he's actor. He's a really good serious actor, and, and Dead Poets Society kind of broke that spell, and that and um, it was the perfect movie for him at the right time. Yeah, and Good Morning Vietnam had a lot to do with that too, because Good Morning Vietnam let him be a stand-up, yeah. and have a few dramatic scenes, yeah, and that prepared audiences to be ready to take him seriously as a high school professor. How much ad libbing was he doing in the in those school oh, in the classroom lot. scenes? A lot, because it seemed like you guys are like cracking up. It was funny, you know. Everybody's been Robin's been on people's minds since yeah. the past, you know, and and uh, I think about those days, and I had a very funny reaction to him going off script a lot, which is that it. it I was trying very hard to be a serious young actor. I loved Peter Weir, and I was. I think maybe because of the explorers, I was friends with River Phoenix and he, River was a great actor. Yeah. And I really wanted to be a great actor. I, I, you know, when you're 18, you're full of all this idealism about what a great actor is and what does that mean? And, and Robin just comes in a set and all he does is joke and the kids are all laughing and I would never laugh. And he would just zero in on me. <laughs> He's just, and, I'm going to oh, get this kinda guy. Like, kind of like Reggie Miller with Spike Lee or something. Yeah. Do you, you know, he just zeroed in on him and he just, he would do anything to make me laugh. And the more he tried, the more inside myself I retreated. And it made him insane, you know? Um, but that was kind of weirdly your character. To some it degree, was my right? character and it worked. But maybe you that's know, why you were retreating. Well, and then I had this amazing experience because I kind of thought he didn't like me because he would tease me mercilessly. And, and then the movie was over and I got this call from Creative Artists Agency in Los Angeles, California, the biggest Hollywood agency in the world. And it was like, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just Ethan Hawke. I'm like, yeah, I'm in my college dorm, you know, back yeah. in college. And and uh, said, uh, yeah, well, I'm Robin Williams' agent. Robin says you're going to be a great actor and that I should represent you. And really? I said, would you like to meet? And I said, yeah. And I got to meet these guys and- uh, you know, the, that guy is still my agent, Brian Lord at CA. And, but we met through Robin Williams. That's amazing. And, you know, so I'm forever grateful to him for that. 
That was one of the first movies that had the ensemble cast of young actors who were clearly headed somewhere. And then you saw that the same formula has happened yeah. since a few times, but yeah. I do feel like that was the first. And I remember like, that was one of the staggering things about just seeing that movie in the theater. Like the acting from the kids was so good. Yeah, wasn't wasn't really a typical thing back then. No, it was a great experience too. And you know, one thing that was fun for us the, is that as good as Robin was in the movie, he really had a supporting part, right? I mean, right. We, you know, we we all had big parts in the movie, and and uh, in in foreign countries, Robin Williams wasn't famous because he's very difficult to translate. Yeah, he speaks so quickly. His jokes are so nuanced and so mercurial, and you know, he's cross referencing. You know, he'll make a joke about. Andre the Giant and Muhammad Ali and Larry Bird in one sentence. And a lot of those references are, are, are people that in France they don't get. Yeah. So like Robert Sean Leonard, Josh Charles and I, we would get invited to Japan or Cannes Film Festival because they didn't really care that much about Robin at that time. Later, his, his international fame went. But it, so it was a great experience. Yeah, I remember rooting for everybody from the movie afterwards. Mm, well, like, be like, oh, White Fang, hey! Hey, hey, that's that hey. dude! That's that dude who stood on the desk! Right. Yeah, desk guy! You know what's weird about you saying this and you, when, you know, you said this when we walked in that you feel like you grew up with me or whatever. I remember thinking about my agent now for a second is that I remember when the script for White Fang came up and, and, my, and he said, you know, I really think you should do this movie. I'm like, I don't want to do a dog movie. I mean, you know, I want to be... Montgomery Clift. Yeah. I don't want to be a dog movie. And 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 Brian said to me, he said, here's the thing, man. You're 18, 19 years old, and you think some 12-year-old kid watching White Fang is a little kid. Right? So, but you don't understand. In five minutes, you're gonna be 35, and that kid is gonna be 32. Yeah. You know, and they're gonna really like you because you were in that dog movie when they were a kid. Yeah. And I was like, you're probably right. He said, so why don't you just, he said, and I remember him saying, Elizabeth Taylor was in the dog movie. She's a great actor. Go, you know. And so I thought, all right, I'll go. And here, ironically, even as I'm- It's a good, good dog movie, by I, the way. A good dog movie. And I'm getting to the age, right? I'm looking at 50 now, right? And so I'm thinking to myself about teaching acting and what that would be like. And I have a daughter going into acting and she was at Juilliard and I was watching her and I was thinking, well, what would I, if I was teaching a class about acting, how would I do? And you know what I'd do? I'd bring some dogs into the class. The, I learned more about acting from working with that wolf. <laughs> Seriously? I'd, yeah, because the thing about acting with the wolf is that you can't act. If if you act, they get all sketchy and weird. Like, who's yeah. he talking to? What's he like? What, who's he trying to impress? He's not talking to me. But if you actually be with the dog, with the wolf. You have to connect with the wolf. You have to, and not pretend to connect. Yeah. You actually have to connect. And- that's possible. Um, and you have to do it non-verbally. Yeah. And if you can do it with a wolf, then you can do it with the worst actor in the planet, man. You know, I mean. This is, this should be your acting school. Well, I think it is. I it think it just, just happened kids right and, now. Kids and wolves. Welcome everyone to <laughs> Juilliard. This West is Bob Coast the style. Wolf. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Quick break to talk about our friends at Gillette. I have been shaving now, I think for 30 years. Might have tried to shave a couple times in high school, and even though I didn't have anything to shave. But you know what's changed my life over the last few years? The Gillette Fusion Ultra Sensitive Skin Shaving Gel. You know what else has been great? The Gillette 5 Razor. Great gliding performance, less irritations. A 360 Aqua Grip Handle makes sure I have total control over my razor even when it's wet. 
Gillette offers a variety of shaving products for every guy, regardless of his personal style, skin needs, or budget. And whether you want three blades or five, the new Gillette 3 and Gillette 5 razors, relatively new, have you covered all under $10. High performance, low price. Get Gillette Performance delivered to your door and find Gillette 5 at GilletteOnDemand.com. Subscribe today. And since we're here, let's talk quickly about TheRinger.com. All kinds of stuff on TheRinger.com. Sean Fennessy wrote about how Marvel has an outlet counter-programming. Kevin O'Connor wrote a really good piece about how the Celtics contained LeBron defensively in game one. Shea Serrano wonders if the Rockets can beat the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Jonathan Sharks wrote about the Warriors' best role player. I won't tell you who that is. You have to read it. We have a whole bunch of other stuff. Billions, Killing Eve, everything you'd want. Uh, check that out, theringer.com. Okay, back to Ethan Hawke. Reality Bites, 1994. Yep. So all of a sudden, you're playing the guy that I hated in college. Uh, who was that? Tell me about the guy you well, hated Well, just the guy with long hair who was the English major who thought he was smarter thought than was everybody. Who knew how to define irony. He didn't know. Yeah, yeah he didn't He didn't watch sports. He didn't yeah, have any right. opinions on what was going on with the Red Sox. But, yeah, right. but somehow the girl that I liked, like you this guy. You don't think that a little bit of your anger might have resided in the fact that he was simply shining a light on you, wasting a lot of your time. Watching sports? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he might have been. <laughs> but the cool thing about that movie was there was this whole era that just wasn't being captured. It was like, you graduate, what do you do? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Where am I going to get a job? And that was, oh, I thought I was this hot shit in college. Now it happens. And it's like, yeah, you're going to go work at the 7-Eleven. really particularly... Um, felt um, for Generation X, whatever that, for our generation, we were a a large group of people whose parents had gone to college and we were expected to go to college. It wasn't some giant victory to have gone to, whereas like my parents, like, oh, they went to college. That was really good. And now we're supposed to go to college. And now what are we going to do with ourselves? And so going to college didn't just get you a good job like it had used to. That was what was unique to our generation. So you had a whole, you know, had a decade of these of all of us in our 20s, you know, Slacker, that Linkletter film was about the same thing. It's just people hanging out, wondering what the hell to do with themselves. And Clerks was a little like that too. Yeah, Although mm-hmm. those guys, I yep. don't know what the upside for kicking those guys Kicking and screaming are. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. kicking and screaming. That was the, I always identified with Grover because he was this writer who wanted to write, but yeah. had no idea. But it was funny. Troy, it. Troy Holler pissed a lot of people off. He really did. He really pissed a lot He's of a people off. He's a great character. It was a great character. What was funny about it for me is, for a long time, a couple of years after that, people thought I was Troy Holler. Like, you know, and I kept. I thought that. Yeah, but I, you know, it was. I, but I that was, means you did a good job. Yeah, I felt proud of myself about it because it was, it was a specific kind of character. And it was the first, really what it was, it was, I had really found a character with Todd Anderson and Dead Poets Society. And I'd really struggled to create another character. Yeah. And. Reality Bites, it happened. I found a new voice, a new energy. And, it, and once you can unlock that in yourself, like I have this theory, you know, like I think a lot of people can write one good song or a lot of people could maybe even write a good novel, one, yeah. you know, and a lot of people could be good in one movie. And being a professional actor is figuring out how to let this stuff flow through you and really be different people again and again and again. And that's, it's a different thing. It's, it's 
Well, I also think it helped that those two characters were so different. Well, it was good for me. I mean, it was literally like night and day. Yeah. Todd and and, uh, and and Troy and Troy. You know, <laughs> hey, who stole my bike? Or hey, that's my bike. That was the name of my band. Okay. Um, well, that's so. Just when you're not, you're know, like, ah, maybe this Troy's all right, and then. He sings the the violent femme song yeah. in the bar you know and just destroys really, Winona Ryder. You know what, what what really pisses people off about that character is he's such a self-centered jerk and he's and he still gets the girl in the end. And I think that's a drove so many guys nuts. Well, in real life, she tells you to fuck off and then yeah, you just exactly. have to reevaluate. In real life, she goes they, for the rich Ben Stiller character. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, but you know. Well, when that came out, did you feel like a shadow from singles or did you feel like it was your own area? Cause singles beat it by, I think a year. But you know, if I'm allowed to say now, Please. I hope the people don't mind. Singles isn't a great film. And you know, I like this. It's really not. And cause and, I always considered myself more of a singles guy, but now I'm gra- gravitating. Yeah, if you really think about the, if you think about the writing of, I mean, this, I'm a student of this stuff, so I, yeah. I, I'm obviously the wrong person to judge. I, I mean, I love singles too. and But singles was trying to cop on to this grunge movement, this thing that was happening in Seattle. Yeah. And what was really cool about Helen Childress' script in Reality Bites is it was really funny. Yeah. I mean, it's really funny and the characters are really vivid. And it's really, you know, Steve Zahn is playing this, you know, gay character and Jereen Garofalo is hysterically funny. And, and here you have this female protagonist that Winona is playing that um, is a filmmaker and self-possessed and making her own, finding her own voice as an artist. And, and you have Ben Stiller, who I think is a world-class director. I mean, he, he makes strange movies. Yeah. His movies are original. And this is his first film. And it's very watchable. I mean, I'm my worst critic. Believe me, I, I, I spent years uh, rolling my eyes when people talked about Reality Bites, but I was at a wedding about seven years ago and I couldn't sleep at night because I had to get away from the wedding and you're in a Ramada yeah. Inn in North Carolina <laughs> right. or something. And I, and I laid down and I flipped on the TV and Reality Bites came on and I watched it and I thought, you know what? This is a really interesting film and it really holds up. I think what's cool is it it really belongs to an actual era in a really significant way that when you think about the era, you think about you think you think about some albums, you think about some mm-hmm. whatever TV show is going on, and mm-hmm. then a few movies. And that's one of the movies. And singles, I agree with you. And I think Cameron Crowe agrees. Like I he could he never too. figure out how to put the movie together. It doesn't quite but it has good pieces. It, it has in good it. pieces and it's a good idea and I like it and everything, but but it lacks um what Winona is amazing in reality. It's a great central performance. And and it was, it was iconic. She found, I mean, you know, even when it starts out that talking head song, we're on a road to nowhere. Um, Like it, it, it jettisons you into that moment in America. Yeah. I think. Here I am. I can't believe I'm selling that movie. Well, I don't care. It's great. People can think whatever they want. No, it's a good movie. Uh, And then before sunrise. Yeah. Which, also kind of belong to that young people who are out of college trying to figure shit mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. If you made like a criterion collection for those movies, this would definitely be on yeah. it. And also for at that moment, you had the director of Slacker and the yeah. Gen X poster boy combining to make, so it was, it was really poised to be that. Ironically, that film, unlike Reality Bites, is kind of timeless. I mean, it, I it's, agree. It's, it's much more like an Eric Romare film. It's much more a European film. It's, 
uh, it, we made a conscious effort in writing that movie not to have any pop culture references, to really not be able to tell what year it is. That was our goal, is it should be kind of timeless because we're moving through Vienna, which is this ancient city. And we, it was- Rick Well, you the, used it as a character though. Yeah. It oh, was definitely. cool. Yeah, definitely. And um, the only thing that really dates that movie now in a fascinating way, I think, is that is the internet. Like the whole idea of Jesse and Celine deciding never to not stay in touch is something that you could have done in 95. But now it's just unheard of of why you wouldn't get somebody's email and why you wouldn't follow them on Instagram. Kind of would ruin the, I don't even know how you would get around that. I, you you couldn't make the movie because it just wouldn't be believable. You just have to have a different ending. If, 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 if the characters decided to do that, you would kind of not like them or something. It would, it would They would be trying too hard. Um, and, and certainly the second movie, even how they missed each other. It wouldn't have, you, you couldn't, you would text each other and say, Hey, uh, my train's running later. I think that was one of the reasons I liked the movie so much because that was an era where you might meet somebody and something, you, and then that was it. And, and then you'd be like, it. if we go back to that bar, I wonder if I'll see her. And, and you would never see them again. And sometimes, did you ever do, sometimes you would do that. My, my daughter, I yeah. was like, how would you, this? well, sometimes I remember like getting out of a movie at 1130 or something and going, well, Sure, would like to hang out with some friends. Well, maybe I'll just go to that bar where those cool people were hanging out the other night and yeah. see if they're still there. And mostly they weren't. Right. But sometimes they would be, <laughs> you know, or sometimes somebody or, you know. Uh, I went to the Masters and they take your phone. I went last uh, month. They do? So they take your phone. So now you're back in 1990s. And if why you have, do why do they take your phone? Because they, they don't want, they don't want anything going off. They don't want flash photography, anything. Right. So this you're is, just, you're just out there and, and you're on, you're on your own. And if you have friends there, you'd be like, yeah, I'll, I, I, yeah, I, we'll be around the 17th hole, but you have no idea if you're going to so run into like them. So it's like 1995. Right. Yeah. And when you run into them, it's like, hey! <laughs> It's so exciting. And it's like, yeah. and I kind of miss that. <laughs> I miss it too. You know, college was like that. You'd be like, totally. yeah, we're going to go to that party. All right, I, I might see you there. And then it, somebody would walk in. It's fascinating. Around that time, same time period, I was running a theater company. And I don't know how we got anybody to come to the shows. Right. I mean, you know, we without e-blasts and sent them. I mean, we literally walked around Times Square handing out pamphlets. Right. And it worked. Yeah. It was a great era. The uh, Before Sunrise, I think, is a movie that really holds up. I think anybody who's listening to this who's under 22 could watch it right now and not feel like it came out other than the cell phone thing. Um, but did even you, then, even but, the, you know, my, uh, I was really happy. My, my daughter's fallen in love with acting and everything. And, and she said to me, you know, some of her, she decided she and her friends to sit down and watch that movie and they're all around 19. And, um, and it was so immediate for them. I was so happy. They completely related. They, they loved it. In fact, they were jealous. They all talked about how jealous they were that we didn't have cell phones. They're like, I wish we didn't have cell phones. It was really affecting when I'm on the train at the end, just in the theater a million years ago, seeing it where it's, and it's left open-ended. Like, I wonder. I know. I wonder. But, but then, you, then you make you the know, sequel. You don't. Yep. And we made the sequel before sunset. I want to bang out all three of those because okay. it, it's impossible not to talk about one without talking the yeah, next Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I heard it is doing, true. I can't help but pimp a little bit. You know, Criterion just put the three of them out as one set. Oh, wow. And it's really one of my... It, it, it's so beautiful. They did such a beautiful job with it. And it's so kind of interesting now to look at them as a whole. Cause you know, they were each made specific. I mean, when we made the first one, we never thought we'd make two more, you know, but then. Well, you, there's no way you could have thought there was going to be a sequel to that. You were probably hoping anyone would even see it, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it never. It, 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 
Star Wars gets sequels, not right. before sunrise. Right. You, you know, I mean, we're the, I, we always joke that we're the, before sunrise is the lowest grossing film of all time to ever engender a sequel. <laughs> and it's definitely the lowest grossing trilogy ever. <laughs> yeah. When did you start thinking about doing the sequel and what made you want to do it? Obviously well, after, at that point, your career was, you know, you were an A-list actor. You'd been yeah. in training day, you got training supported day, yeah. for, or best supporting actor, uh -huh. all that stuff. Yeah. So what happened was really cool. Linklater was making this weird animated movie called Waking Life. Yeah. Right? And he called Julie and I up and said, hey, I have this idea. It's this dreamscape movie. And I want <laughs> Jesse and Celine to appear in the dream. And this is about five years after we'd done Before Sunrise. And, uh, and so we went down to Austin and there was no script. And so the three of us sat in a room. And we kind of came up with what these Jesse and Celine would be talking about in his dreamscape. And the three of us laughed so hard and we had so much fun. We were so happy to see each other again. Yeah. Because we'd fallen out of each other's orbit and uh and we started going, God, well, what if there what would a sequel be? What would it what you know, how could it work? And uh and we didn't know, but we the idea popped up. Like it was just simply because it was so much fun to be together. Yeah. And then I published a book and I was doing a book signing and Linkletter introduced me. It was in Austin and Linkletter introduced me and he had to wait an hour while I did a reading and I did this whole sign and he just had to sit there in the bookstore, you know, watching me do this signing. And he came up to me and he said, I know how the second film starts. And I'm like, how? He goes, Jesse wrote a book about that night and it's about her and she shows up at the signing. And then I said, guess what, dude? He's like, what? I said, that's the whole movie. That's it. We just, it's real time. It's 90 it, minutes. It's 90 yeah. minutes. It's that, that is the movie. So we got in the, his pickup truck and we drove from Austin to Bastrop and called Julie. So what do you, what, she comes in and she's like, all right, hold on. You've got to come, we've got come to Paris and meet me and we'll, we'll bat out an outline. And we, Rick and I flew, you know, when we figured out a time period, we all could do it. And we flew to Paris and we stayed at Julie's apartment and it happened again. I, we tried to write this little outline so that somebody would finance the movie. You know, it's kind of like a little 20 page treatment. And we stayed up all night because we only, it was one of those things where you only have four nights because Rick had to be somewhere. Or Julie had like whatever it was. We had like four nights and we stayed up talking and I laughed so hard. Julie Delp is one of the funniest people on the planet. I mean, yeah. I laughed so hard. Tears would be streaming down my face. And I, we just knew we had to make this second movie. The ending of that one is one of my favorite endings of a movie. Me too. It's just a great last scene. My wife scene. gets so mad at me. She says, you can't agree with people when they give you a compliment. And I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, I know, you're right, you're right. What I should say is thank you, but I love, I, I remember when Rick had the idea, Yeah, you know, and I was just like, yes. Who would say it's Nina Simone, right? Nina yeah. Simone's playing and and, and, and and Julie starts impersonating. Yeah. And so she says, boy, you're going to miss that plane. And, and Jesse just says, I know. Cut to black. It's so good. It's so good. I saw that at the on Sunset, that theater that's near the Chateau Marmont, mm -hmm. and I was so worried that I was like, I'm not going to see this. They're they're going to mess this up. They should yeah. have done this. And then my friend Dave Damashek went. And he's like, you got to go. It's like the characters have advanced because we were all the same age yeah, as the right, characters. Man. Like the characters have now advanced to where they're us at the same age points, and you just have to go. That's and so cool. it was like that. And uh -huh. There's really not a trilogy like that where it's here's young love. You just believe in it idealistically. Mm -hmm. 
then it's like you're a little burned in the second one, and eh, but maybe, but yeah, too- you're still kind of holding on. And then the third one, everyone's ruined. Yeah, everyone, goes, <laughs> everyone goes into the deep end of the pool. It just gets I dark. Remember, I remember, I knew before midnight was going to be dangerous, the third one, when we started shooting, and we're doing a scene, and in the scene, I'm talking about a book I'm writing or something with some people, and a, a young woman walks by, and I... I clock this young woman, you know, I, she's walks by in a bikini and I kind of right. give a glance to that. And the camera operator, Rick's was a cut. He just, he looked up, he said, you can't do that, man. I'm like, what do you mean I can't do that? And he goes, you love Celine. And oh, I, Jesus. I was like, buddy, I do love Celine, but a 22 year old in a bikini just walked by and right. I'm a grown man. And, 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 you know, this is, and he's like, you can't know. And I, and I said to him, I said, look, that's what this whole movie is going to be about. Right. It's going to wake up. This is reality folks. Yeah. Okay. And in the real world, people don't just evaporate and go to heaven when they kiss. Yeah. Right. You're going to have to stay in and work on it to get it out. And really attractive people are going to walk by wet and bikinis and their swim trunks and your wife's going to notice them. And so are you, and you're still going to have to try to work it out. You, you, you know, and, and, and he was like, I, I don't know if I can handle this. He, he remember him saying to me, uh, it's, it's kind of like finding out, It's like he said, it's kind of like watching Jack, you know, Jack and Rose clock other people. He's like, I can't, I can't handle this. Right. You know, like, well, this is what Before Midnight's going to be. And in a lot of ways, the challenge of Before Midnight is is the one that I'm most proud of because that what Rick and Julie and I set out to do is, could we make a romantic movie? Because the first two are really essentially, they really deal a lot with romantic projection. And optimism. Yeah, and what we imagine might happen. Yeah. What happened if we made a movie now where you're 10 years into a relationship and you really talk about what is with no romantic projection? Could you make a movie that is deeply romantic and completely believes in love without one lie, without lying at all? Mm. And that was our goal. And it was a really, it was one of the hardest, writing that movie was one of the most, I mean, I'm almost, I love acting, right? So like when I go to a rap party or something, I'm usually a little disappointed. I like making the movie. And when we rapped before midnight, I was exhausted. Just just spiritually, emotionally spent. So when you, like you, so you see her when you're thinking of the sequel, is it like seeing an old girlfriend? Because you spent like the, in night, what was it, 94, 95? It was like such an intense movie. It's almost like you had a real relationship. Well, we do have a real relationship. No, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. But it, it, it's if you co-write and act three movies with somebody once a decade for three decades, it's Julie and I know each other really well. Yeah, you know, and because it's not you don't just do the movie, then you do the press tour, you know, and then you get in fights with their family and, you know, I mean, just, you get to know each other. So have you found like with the Netflix uh, slash HBO now, all these streaming things where these movies are just on all the time, Amazon prime, you're hitting this whole new gen. You said like your daughter watched it, but do you feel like there's a new generation out there? That's just like, what's this? Oh, I hope so. I mean, that's what I felt. What was so interesting to me about this Criterion collection of the three is people buying it as one entity, right? Which it was like it, the Godfather. It, yeah, it's so <laughs> weird. It's like it, 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 because it, it wasn't conceived that way. I mean, Godfather one and two really were conceived like their so continuation as, as as tandem, and 
and the before trilogies is this, but they really do function as a trilogy. And it, did you do a commentary for it? Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, so when you said you were writing it, who's actually typing? All three of us. At different times. I mean, you know, it, we would we would stay up. We'd be in a room like this one, and and uh, usually we would arrive in a room like this on all the scenarios with about a twenty to forty page script outline, and then we would spend a month yelling at each other, listening to music, walking through it. Because the way Rick shoots those movies, you know, there's such long takes, 11 minute take, 14 yeah. minute take, eight minute take, four minute take, three minute take. But they take, they, they're not made in the editing room. You know, when Rick commits to a 14 minute take, that means that there's not gonna be alternate line readings. You can't save it. So the rehearsal process is meticulous. It's almost like a play. It's very much like a play, but a play that you're writing at the same time. Yeah. And so it's a very elaborate and strange process that uh, is unlike any other experience of my life. One more break to talk about one of the best sponsors that we've had join the podcast in the last 18 months. Hotel Tonight. If you're like me, you're not so great at planning ahead because I'm not. I've got good news. Our friends at Hotel Tonight have an awesome app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. I have used this. I've used this for my daughter's soccer tournaments. I plan on using this for my, my son's uh, travel baseball career that I have conflicted feelings about. Book next week, tonight. Book next month, tonight. All it takes is 10 seconds. Three taps and a swipe. No long, endless list of a zillion hotel choices. Hotel Tonight only shows you the best deals at the best hotels. Perfect whether you're a planner or you like to leave things until the very last minute. With Hotel Tonight's HT Perks program, the more you book, the better the deals get. Unlike other loyalty programs where you're trapped into staying at boring chain hotels. You don't have to do that this time. Start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. Download the Hotel Tonight app now. Right now, this moment. Go. Stop. Stop whatever you're doing. Just do it. Uh, while we're here, don't forget, On Shuffle, the Ringer's new music podcast hosted by Michael Peters. It launches this week. Don't you want to be there for it? Just subscribe now. Subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back to Ethan Hawk. So after that one and Reality Bites, you were you had your choice of jobs, but you were also part of this whole your age group that was a really good acting class. It was almost like in basketball, like the Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell <laughs> rookie class. But I think when in River Phoenix, he died like what? 90, he died around that same time. He died right time. right around the time before. Summer. When did you become friends with him? Eighty four. And he died in Oh, you knew him that long? Yeah. yeah How? Yeah. Explores. We were- That's he, right. He was my first scene partner, man. Oh my God. Yeah. Before the wolf was River. Yeah. So what What was it about him that it just seemed like he had such a profound effect on everybody who crossed paths with him? What was it? Dying young hurts. No, but I mean, even I, before I know, but it that. creates a vacuum where yeah. you're left. It, 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 it's, it's like a- hurricane touching ground or something. It leaves a wreckage, you know? Uh, and, but he also had him, I don't know if, you know, sometimes you meet people and they have a slight magical quality about them. So much so that it almost didn't surprise me when it happened, when his death happened, you know, that there was something a little 
otherworldly about him. Really? There's a little light in his eyes that was, I was, I struggled very much with both really liking him and being his friend and being really envious. He was, uh, he was ahead of the curve on me as far as being an artist. Yeah. He was a great musician and he really thought outside the box. His family was so interesting. You know, they were so radical and made my family seem really boring. Right. And it seemed like the kind of family and a great artist should come from, you, you, you know, uh, eccentric and wild and political. And, uh, you know, my father's a mathematician and my mother sold college textbooks. You know, I just didn't, I, didn't, I felt really boring. Yeah. Um, so what kind of choices did you have after those two movies? Well, before I mean, you must've been offering if, like all kinds of stuff, right? Action movies and yeah. rom-coms and whatever you want. You know what happened to me though? Training day and before sunset, you know, happened pretty close together, you know, within a span of three years or something together. And those are two, you know, as an actor. It was 01 and 04, yeah. Yeah, as an actor, working with Denzel was a big like adult, adult awakening moment. You know, it was like my f first big Hollywood movie where I'm co-starring with the first well, ballot hall of famer. In his prime, and, in like his career year. In his career prime. I mean, yeah. I, it's like playing with Jordan when he's 31. Right. You know? I mean, it's, 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 he's right. It's like 93 Jordan. Yeah. And, and, and so that was, that really was an exciting moment as an actor. And then like one of my best friends, Richard Linkletter is coming into his own as an artist and, and asking me to, you know, writing and acting in before sunset was a, it felt like I was becoming a, an adult, you know, and that was really exciting. But then I got divorced yeah. and it was like uh, getting kicked in the face. Yeah. It just, everything fell apart and everything about who I thought I was. And, uh, but just, that was later in that. That was like then. It was right, right after before sunset. Yeah. It was during it before my, my marriage had ended before, before sunset. we started filming before sunset. And, uh, and so that was really tough. And so you're having these positive experiences, but your inner world is kind of chaotic. And I threw myself really back at, see, you're asking me, was I getting big offers? I might've been getting big offers. I wasn't thinking about them. And one of the things that has always brought me peace is work. Yeah. I like working and I like the theater. And I really, in the wake of my divorce, I really threw myself back at the theater um, and it, you could say as a career thing, it was a mistake. Training Bay had just come out. I've been nominated two times in four years or something like that. And like, it was a time to be working in the movies and be in Hollywood. Instead, I just did one play after the other and one weird art film after another weird art film. And, and I loved it. Yeah. You know, and I put myself back together. Um, and I also allowed myself to heal my family and be a parent and fall in love again and kind of build my life back up. And so when you asked me at those time periods, work became a little less important. Yeah. In, uh, so, cause in a way that that first decade, 20 to 30, I was defined by my job. Yeah. How my life was going was how my job was going, you know? And then you kind of realize, oh, wait, job is not reality. What kind of man am I? What kind of person? I'm gonna be dead soon. You start like, you know, 35 comes around yeah. and you start, you start to feel it. It's like time to quit smoking. It's time to like, wow, you know, these things start happening. And, uh, when's it, w did we ever decide when it is time to quit smoking? Is there an age? I'm just <laughs> looking out for nephew Kyle over here. <laughs> 36. 
this is the thing. The, I remember I had this this doctor because you have to get physicals for yeah. movies, and you're always going. And I went at this. I went. I had this doctor, and I'll actually tell this story because since I already <laughs> talked about being divorced. So where I was about 33 and um, 32, 33, getting divorced, miserable, chain smoking. Yeah. You know? um, and I said to this doctor, I know I got to quit. And he said, you know something, you don't have to quit. He said, you smoke all you want. You're getting divorced. I'd rather you smoke than get in a fist fight in a bar. Yeah. You know, he's like, just smoke them if you got them, pal. Have a good time. And I was like, really? Because yeah, you are really depressed. He's like, there's going to be a time to quit smoking. And it's not right now. You know, he's like, you're a young man. It's great advice. Yeah, he's, he's like, you're, you got to get your act together, okay? And when you get your act together, you quit smoking. Okay, so a couple of years go by, I come back in, I'm 36. And he goes, how you doing? I'm like, I'm doing really good. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got a girlfriend. Yeah, 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 things are going well. Oh, good. Yeah, you've put some weight back on. Yeah, yeah, oh, you're sleeping healthy. Okay, so it's time for this speech. And he busted out the graphs about if you're still smoking at 40 and your chances of dying of it and how many years you're going to go by, how many years you'll lose and the quality of your life and what you're going to lose. And, and he starts, he literally put up these little army men, like 10 of them. And he said, if you're still smoking at 40, he knocked over seven. And he said, how sure are you that you're one of those three guys? He's like, and, and, and he's like, so he, he basically said, so it's time. And I walked out and I immediately had a cigarette. I was just like, oh, Jesus. And uh, that guy depressed me. And, um, and then, you know, a couple months later, one day I just put him down. And that was it. That was it, you know. When you were on Reality Bites, were you smoking? Because now they smoke fake cigarettes. Were you smoking real uh, cigarettes on the set? Here's the thing. It must have been the, like seven packs a day. Bites, uh, but I had made this decision that Troy smoked Camel on filters, right? Because guys like Troy always smoke Camel yeah. on filters. So, oh, my God. So I'd be, cha- I'd be doing... I'd be doing a take, chain smoking, camel on filters. And then they'd give you a break. And what do you do on your break? You have a, you have smoke. A I'm used to smoking on my break. I, but I would get home and like cough up huge, you know. I'm surprised you didn't like get severe bronchitis. Like I, I day, got bronchitis Day number time. 10. So training day. Where, which movie did you meet your wife? The first wife. The first wife, Gattaca. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Gattaca. Yeah, it was Jude Law's Did first you fall, fall for each other on the oh, set or God. after? Oh, we're madly in love on the set, yeah. I'm always amazed I, that doesn't I don't, happen I don't all the time. I think we made it to the first day of shooting without oh, seriously? falling in love. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. I'm always amazed that doesn't happen all the time. I because it, I everybody throw that you're in the role and it's just the intensity oh, on, of yeah, it. Exactly. That's it's uh, it's not fair. Can I ask you about um You can ask me anything. No, when you're married to somebody who's also famous and who does exactly what you do, uh-huh. it seems like sometimes unless both people's careers are going great, if somebody passes the other or is doing better than the other, it seems like that has it, its own challenges, right? It makes life, it creates a geometry problem that makes it very hard to be your best self. You know, I mean, I I know people that do it. You know, there's, there's actors that take care of each other and it's it can make you a very evolved and good person. Yeah, but it is uniquely challenging. Like, for example, it's very challenging if you go in with your wife to screen test for the same movie that everybody wants, and and only one of you get it, and and you go home and you're both like anxious. Oh, we're gonna get a call back. We're gonna get a call back. And the phone rings and it's like, and it's her agent, and she jumps for joy. I got a call back. I got a call back. And then your phone doesn't ring. Your phone doesn't ring. 
And you're like, wow, I didn't. And she deserves to have somebody take her out to dinner and celebrate and right. get ready for the call. But instead you want to cry. But also you deserve to be able to cry a little bit. And so that's when you get the camo and filters out. <laughs> yeah. Go I'm just garage. making a point to be made that it's it is very it asks a lot of a person. I can know? imagine. And and um uh I get competitive with my wife just over like who discovered that restaurant first five years ago. And we exactly. had a 10 minute argument about it. Can't even imagine if we were both actors. Yeah. But you know, I have, I'm friends with uh, Alessandro Nivola and Emily Mortimer. We were both great actors and they really take care. They're really an inspiration because they really take care of each other and they take care of each other's art and they're really encouraging of each other. And it, it, it can be done. Or who was the Hugh, Hugh Cronin and Jessica Tandy? Yeah. And they were like somehow linked together as actors for 130 years. Yeah, yeah. That seems like another way it could go. Yeah. You almost become a, a tandem like McCartney yeah. and Lennon. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, training day 2001. Yep. Did you know that was going to be a monster? Totally. I mean, I, I you knew. You have it. MJ in his prime. You have a great script. Read, you have a good director. I, I read that script and, I, you know, you're picturing what Denzel the intersection of Denzel at that moment in his career with this great piece of writing. Antoine Fuqua was a really exciting young director at that point, And he was uh, ready for that job. Yeah. And I, I wanted that part so bad because I, I knew what a good film that could be. And um, I met Antoine and, it became kind of clear to me that Antoine and Denzel wanted me, but other people didn't want me. Uh -oh. And I was going to really have to jump through some hoops and audition. And, and it's one of those great moments in your life where you're like, you know what? Because I was already being offered movies and things were going well, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to get this part. I'm going to eat a little humble pie and I'm going to go in and I'm going to get this part. And, uh, and I did. And I was glad I did. Is that, is that uh I'm trying to think what what movies had people come up to you and just throw lines at you. That's got to be in the top three, right? Oh yeah, you know, Jake, Jake, you got the money, Jake. <laughs> Ever, uh, you know, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. I mean, you know, people say that to me pretty much daily. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was he biggest force of personality actor you worked with, or was there somebody else? Bigger force than Denzel? Just like day to day at in Let the me set. Let me tell you something. Have you heard of the expression alpha male? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, the, if there was somebody who was bigger than Denzel um, on a set, I wouldn't want to be there because that would be... He was friendly with Michael Jordan. I always wondered, like, what happened just, when they hung out together that they didn't just oh, fight I mean, to the death? Alpha males can get along with... I, I just mean that he's an no. amazingly confident man. And but he knows... He knows who fills he is the room. and he fills the room and he knows what he wants and he expects a lot from other people. And, you know, I worked with him again on Magnificent Seven. I love working with Denzel. Yeah. I love to work with him again. I mean, he's great at what he does. And if you're some shrinking violet, it's going to be a hard time for you. And it sounds like Jordan. Look, you know, he's, you cannot excel at that level for that long. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable accomplishment what he's done. Yeah. 30 years, major international movie star, right? And a world-class great actor. I mean, you know, he's on Broadway right now doing Iceman Cometh. His performance in Flight um, is like, anybody else does that movie Flight and it's like a charming kind of neat indie movie, right? Yeah. Denzel Washington in Flight 
That is an event. It is a mat. I mean, he's one of our finest actors and a genuine, bona fide, card carrying movie star. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's a better actor than, you know, I mean, when you think about other, other generations like Clark Gable or, you know, when these people, I mean, he's, he's on a par with Marlon Brando, but he's sustained it for 30 years and he's doing it carrying um, the burden of, you know, being African-American in this country and having to carry a lot of extra weight. Yeah. You know, as a role model, as a leader in his community, having to face racism, having to fight through it. Um, I just saw in Brooklyn the other day, they did a anniversary um, screening of Malcolm X. I guess it's 25 years. Yeah. It's a towering achievement. And if you see that movie in a crowded house in Brooklyn and on the big screen, yeah, you know, it's like a rock concert. And it makes... I was thinking about it. It's like, man, he should have won five Academy Awards for that movie. Like, like it's just so much better than most of the movie performances that guys win Oscars for. It's I just, would say that with sports where the MVP trophy should be different, different weights depending yeah, on how good yeah. it was. Yeah, like I love this It's like this a 40-pound Oscar. Yeah, it's a 40-pound it's a Oscar. Like Iguodala, when he won MVP. The finals MVP. Yeah, it's, it's like it's a, kind of like a smaller, right, he, he kind smaller of, It's like a four-pound MVP. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> still he couldn't figure out who to give it to because he kind of wanted to give it to Curry, but he didn't really deserve it. Because, no, he didn't like, play well. And, and so, okay, we'll give it to the guy who missed like 80 million free throws. Right. And, and, and so, whereas truthfully, LeBron wins... If, if they just push that to seven games that year, LeBron, even losing, wins that MVP. He needed to, you know, he was by, what, he had the most assists, most rebounds, oh, yeah. most steals, mo most points of anybody in the series, and he didn't win MVP. Rookie of the years like that this year where Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons were both so good. That's like a 40-pound rookie That's of the a, year. That is, yeah. that give is, them a little is, extra bonus ones. Yeah, give them bonus ones. Well, I'm glad you liked Denzel. Tape, I thought it was a really interesting movie. I just wanted to mention it. Yeah, I love that movie. It's fucking weird. It is a weird movie. It's dark. It's weird. It's just weird. Three people you, in a hotel room. Yeah. But you know, it's weird. It's worth, a good cable movie. It's, it's like, oh, yeah. Tape. We, we made that movie thinking, you know what we're making this movie for? Some night. Some night. You're, you're going to be alone. You can't sleep. And you're going to turn this on and your mind's going to be blown. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to wake up in the morning and go, wait, what happened? What? Uh, and, yeah. Uh, I, I love that movie. And you know, in all this kind of as the sexual politics is kind of taken the nation by storm this yeah. year, you know, like, and that writing becomes even more interesting seen in the light today. Yeah. Uh, because it's very interesting about it's, you know, male relationship to uh, sexual violence. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, I got to mention. We just walking through my filmography. No, no, we're, we're done, done, man. I just had a couple. I had to well, hit yeah, You know, I don't mind. I like talking Sinister. about it. Yeah. Well, Sinister. So said they, there's this whole Netflix, I think driven by Netflix, but just horror movies constantly. And they're all over the place. And it's usually something's wrong with the house or something's wrong with the kid, or <laughs> I shouldn't have looked at that priest that way. And then bad things ensue. And yeah. Sinister is one of the best ones, best versions of that. I'm really, Scott Derrickson is a great director and he really led me through that performance. And I'm really proud of that movie. It's, um, you know, I have this idea of an obituary, you know, that has uh, a good movie for every mood. You yeah. Know, I want, or every genre, you know, I want. And sometimes it's midnight and you got your friends sleeping over and you want to watch a scary movie. If you put on Sinister, you'd be glad you did. It's yeah. scary. It's genuinely scary. And, and, and 
God allowed me to give a real performance inside a horror movie. You know, that character really, that was an interesting moment in my life. I was 40 and it's my character in the movie is really looking at his past and the successful past and really worried about what his future is and yeah. is the best days behind him and how much does he want to hold on to fame and how much does he want to hold on to, you know, perception of power and money and you know late at night watching old clips of himself on talk shows it was yeah. it was fascinating for me to get to explore that character and use myself like well is this is this what does middle age look like is this is scary and um so I, and, and you know what i wanted to tell you about scott was that he felt the same way he even confessed to me watching he's like you know i can't see before sunset because I like Before Sunrise too much. I'm still mad at you guys for making Before Sunset. <laughs> <laughs> the Purge. Yes, The Purge. I let my son see this when he was like, I don't know, seven. <laughs> That's not smart. <laughs> it gets worse. It gets worse. He wanted to go as The Purge for Halloween mm -hmm. in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, well, we also saw Purge 2 and Purge 3. Yeah. The Purge was... One of the best ideas for a movie of the past 10 it's years. It's just brilliant. It's just phenomenal. I know. It's such a good idea. I, and I, I think know. they're bringing it back though as a TV show. And it's like, great. It's Let's do it. It's such a, a, a in, in seeing now in the light of the present administration, it just makes more, <laughs> you can just imagine Trump saying, I got an idea, everybody. It's going to be great. The greatest night ever. <laughs> we just get rid of some people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can just see it. And no, that, that, um, I had done Assault on Precinct 13 with James DeMonaco. Yeah. And, uh, and I had, I really like, James has got a brilliant mind. And, um, you know, that, that's an old fashioned drive-in movie. Really and, is. And one of the things I love about um, genre movies is you can actually talk about, you know, quote unquote, important topics in a way that isn't pretentious. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's the future. Imagine a world in which rich people don't care what happens to poor people. Right. They live in their communities and watch TV while they're on their treadmill and flip by channels without caring that there's fires outside. And right. A world where a young black male might be chased through the <laughs> you know, uh, streets of suburbia and shot and killed. Can you imagine? Well, in a way, that is, if you make a very well-meaning movie about racial violence or something like that. Well, you know, Get Out's another example. I mean, the genius of Get Out is they really make you look at social politics yeah. while telling you a great story without, yeah. without being pompous or pretentious. And that actually affects audiences. I remember seeing Get Out with a total mixed race audience one night and like half the crowd would laugh and then turn and look, is that okay to laugh? And then that forgot, they would burst laughing and then everybody laugh again. And and then, and I felt like when we walked out, we were all friends. Yeah. Like, and I love it when movies can do that, bring people together, you know? Perch is a good movie. Yeah. Boyhood was the last one I want to talk about just because okay. that was one of the most fascinating movie experiments. How many years did you, did you work in that? 12 years. And when you would see the kid, did you keep in touch with them uh -huh. between the thing? Yeah. His name's Eller Coltrane. He's a remarkable young man. And we, you know, the whole movie follows the grid of, it's the only time all of our lives are kind of the same, first grade through 12th grade. Most of us, we all, most of us follow that pattern, you know, where you kind of know where, and it replaces a plot with this idea of, all right, we're going to go through first grade to 12th grade. Yeah. And so we did it once. We made a short film every year for 12 years and uh, it turned into boyhood. It's an awesome experience. Oh, we got to talk about your new movie. Let's do it. 
When's it come out? May 18th. First Reformed, new film by Paul Schrader. Probably Paul Schrader, American Gigolo, Paul Schrader. Exactly. Taxi Driver, Paul Schrader. Wow. Raging Bull, Paul Schrader. Yes. Uh, you know, one of the great writers of his generation and one of the best scripts I've ever read. And it is incendiary. Uh, it's it's like a Bergman film if Bergman was rocking out to the Ramones the whole time he made a movie. And what's your, what's your character play, in I this? I play a priest who is counseling a young man who is in a severe depression about what's happening to our planet and to the environment. And he doesn't know whether he wants, his girlfriend is pregnant and he doesn't know if he wants to be a father in a world that's on fire. And why would he bring a child into this fire and, and what? And he starts, you know, really questioning me about where is, where is our leadership? Where are the grownups? Why is nobody doing anything? And particularly, why are the spiritual class of this country why are we not being better stewards to God's earth? And how could I go and pray every day and not do something about it? And it's a very tough conversation. And the movie goes on from there. Um, and it's, it's, you'll see it's very much the same work as the guy who wrote Taxi Driver. It's very powerful, but it's a mature work. It's not, you know. Um, and he wrote this recently or is it an oh old yeah. script? Oh, yeah. How old is he now? 71. Wow. And it, it's it's like hearing an old lion roar. Yeah. You know, and he's letting you know that there's stuff to think about and there's stuff to pay attention to. And it's really one of the best characters I've ever been given the opportunity to play. And you're still doing Broadway stuff? and I do. Off next, Broadway, all that stuff? Next year, I'm going to do True West, Sam Shepard's True West with Paul Dano. You're New York guy or an LA guy? New York guy. Knicks? Who's your team? Well... I've been a Knicks fan for a long time, but I got kicked out of the garden. What? They won't, they won't, they won't give me tickets anymore. What are you talking about? I'm being serious. Uh, I'm being dead serious. I, I really was vocal on some talk shows like this that I thought it was a huge mistake to let Mike go and to, you know, I would have bet on Mike before I bet on Mello and- and uh, they didn't let oh, me Oh, Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. That was it? You sided with D'Antoni well, over Mello? Not over yeah. Mello, but over, I. there was something genuinely exciting. The first thing that had been exciting since Jeff Van Gundy left in the garden with the Knicks was, when, was Lynn Sanity. Lynn Sanity was incredible. It was absolutely incredible in the way that that organization didn't fan the flames and let Mike do what he wanted to do and let these yeah. guys run and let them play ball. And- uh, and instead, Mike's on his way to Western Conference Final, and you know the Knicks are the Garden's empty, creaky, creaky, creaky. And but I haven't been left teamless. And simultaneously, you could you could buy tickets and go if you wanted. You the just, point you is, I'm not wanted, and I don't go where I'm not right. wanted. It's Fair. hard to be a fan for a place that doesn't like you. Yeah, but one okay. person doesn't like you. Well, one person who owns it because I called up once. You know, I, you have to understand. I've been going since. I mean, Reality Bites came out once I was kind of like a- Oh, so you were there for the- You and Mason, I would, call up, I would call up and say, hey, could I get tickets? And they'd be, oh, welcome, Ethan. And you know, sometimes, you know, and you know, sometimes they wouldn't have tickets, but they'd always hook me up and let me, you know, maybe the seats weren't great. Maybe they were great depending on the night. And and then I called up one time and they said, um, that'll be uh, $7,800. I was like, oh, um, oh, uh, 
And I said, why is this the first time you guys are charging me? And they said, you should have thought of that before you went on the Jimmy Fallon show. You know? Wow. And, and I was like, wow, this is real. And, um, and so I've apologized publicly many times to try to get my seats again. And it uh, seems to... Uh, I'm surprised Jimmy Fallon let you do that because he's... We were both still sitting courtside. We were, we were both excited about. No, I, I'm exaggerating. They, they, it's I don't okay. think you're exaggerating. Um, I think well, this, I, the point listen, is, James Dolan is a spiteful man. The 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 point is that happened kind of around the same time. The next, a little bit later than that, LeBron decided to go to Cleveland, and there was something. Oh, about, 2014. There was something about him going back to Cleveland. It was so righteous, so cool, and it marked some transition in my willingness to accept LeBron's greatness emotionally and to start enjoying his greatness. And I didn't have a team. And I have followed with dutiful um, fandom uh, the LeBron James movement. And it's I'm in a period of ecstasy right now watching one of the greatest players to play the game have one of the greatest seasons. Um, can I give you the cynical counter to what I just heard? Yeah. It sounds like you dumped the crappy team and jumped on the bandwagon of the second best part of all time. Dude, it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> it is that. It just take away second greatest. Okay. That's the only really, part. Really? You have him over Jordan? I don't have him over Jordan. I, I like what Barkley said the other day. It's kind of like there are eras. Yeah. You can't really compare eras. Um, LeBron James has been the greatest player of his time period. And it's bar none. The, he, he, you know, you think about like how Shaq only has one MVP and like, it's just, everybody just kind of took him for granted for yeah. a little while. And I think that happened for a little while with LeBron. And now people, he's getting old enough now that people are like, oh wait, actually this is pretty awesome. And you're right. I, I just, I've just, it was so, it's been so much fun watching um, him play Golden State. Uh, and to see the level of basketball that's being played, it's really exciting. And I can't wait to watch the Rockets and Golden State Warriors. I can't wait to see that. I wish Kyrie was healthy. Um, that would be thrilling to see a healthy Celtics. I think, I think my team's going to be, uh, we'll be okay Your in this team series. is the future. Pal. My team's I mean, okay. I smell, Brad Stevens, I don't know how a person gets that smart. I, I, I watch these games and... It's just sometimes you can kid yourself into thinking that coaching doesn't really matter. It's all about the, you're like, no, man, wow, this is a fine coach. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously Popovich is a great, and I, I just, I love watching basketball right now. It's, if Brad it, Stevens called you and said, I've mastered coaching. Now I want to direct. I'm making this indie film, this script I've been working on for a while. I want you to be in it. I'm there, brother. Free, free. You, you know, I wonder if he has time to do it. Maybe uh, that should be your sports movie role. You play the Brad Stevens story. I'm already, this is crazy. I'm already too old for Brad Stevens. <laughs> I got to play Popovich. Yeah, the, uh, the LeBron thing is going to be interesting. Have you been following how amazing, what a leader Popovich has been vocally about race in this country and sports? He's been Him such and an Steve inspiration. Kerr. They've been, and Steve Kerr too, they've just been, I just so appreciate their honesty and their intelligence, you know, to-, to Compared to every NFL coach? Yeah, like, I mean, you know, one thing Spike Lee said that I really agree is like, where the hell is Branch Rickey now? You know, where the hell is somebody to say, hey, you guys, Colin Kaepernick is a good quarterback. And, and he would sell tickets, Yeah. okay? This is business, all right? He would sell tickets and it's the right thing to do. 
you know, and, and you're dealing, the sports forces people in interracial community at its fine. I mean, this is people where we're really, it's what, you know, the military does it, sports where you really see people um, working together. And where is Branch Ricky now? Um, and I wish, uh, I wish one of these owners would really step forward and make a statement um, and be a leader. It seems like the NBA is so progressive, partly because it has to be, but also because it's just trying to appeal to everybody. Mm-hmm. Whereas the NFL is still so worried about their little pockets their little Im- of their image where people would just go, ah, Colin Kaepernick, he should stand up. And they're worried about those people more than everybody. And that seems to be part of the issue. Cause like Houston should have signed him last year when Deshaun Watson got hurt. Come on. Just go get him. Just go get him. And instead, you, I mean, it was like they were doing roulette with all these different kids. Or LA. I mean, you know, there's so many places that, that could use a good quarterback and that he would be very popular. What was the best Knicks game you went to, just out of curiosity? Well, I went. Do you go to any of the fight games? Well, okay. I, I was were there at, for Van Gundy holding. Uh, I wasn't there for that. I leg? was there when um, the. When the game five, when Reggie went off with Spike, when Spike was taunting Reggie and he went off and won that. And they, oh yeah, we they, made a 30 for 30 about that. Oh, that 30 yeah. by 30 is amazing. Thank I was you. there at, at that game. I was there. I saw a couple great Jordan teams. I saw Patrick Ewing score 50 once in a regular season game. What? That was really awesome. He had one of this, one of his best nights. And um, I saw the game seven against Indiana where, Patrick missed the finger roll and all that hurt. That was um, a tough one. That was were, a tough one. Were loss. you at the game when Eddie Curry had 11 hot dogs and then went out and <laughs> scored two points? <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't go to that one? <laughs> what about the game when Steve Francis didn't pass to a single teammate for four quarters? Yeah. Missed that one? <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> it's that been was, a rough century. That was in my black ears. Yeah. Uh, it's been a rough century. No, Maybe yeah, the yes. lottery's on Tuesday. Maybe they'll get yeah. lucky. Who the hell knows? You know. how, how old are your kids now? Seven. No, well, okay. She's turning, one is turning seven, one is turning 10, one is turning 20, and one is 16. The 20 boy. is a girl or a boy? 20 is a girl. Oh, that's Tw- Stranger Maya, Things? My Hawk is in Stranger Things, yeah. 20, huh? Yeah. My daughter just turned 13. Wow. What do I have to prepare for? Greatness. Okay, that's a great answer. Yeah. Oh, I'd say, I, I mean, it's just been, just when you think like, oh, you got a handle on life, life presents you with a grown woman as a daughter. Yeah. And you get to hear about dating from her point of view, you know, and you get, the whole world looks different. She's And for me, it's particularly unique because she's going into acting and we have shared passions, you know, and, but the industry has changed so much. You know, she's this. She's did this uh, BBC production of Little Women that's going to air very soon on PBS, and it's a great movie. And she did a great job. And it was very wild to be on set and watch her acting with all these young women. It looks so much like when I was her age on Dead Poets Society with all these young men, and it was like this kind of inverted experience. And to see the industry now and see what it looks like coming into it, I don't know. It's just thrilling. Maybe she can be in um, After Sunrise when you do the second trilogy. Don't cut me about, out yet. About old. No, oh, you're in it. I'm in it too. Oh, you're in God. it. About old. Your dad, yeah. you have kids now, and yeah. then it's like three more movies. Yeah, all right. All you right. just bang them all out. All right. I'm into it. I'm into it. Just get in the, get in the hotel. Fly to France. Yeah. Make it happen. With your friend Rick. 
Go to Julie Delpy's apartment and just right bang away. out the fourth yeah. one. It's all right, time. All right, I'm Second right, I'm trilogy. Right. It's not a fourth movie. It's a new. That's it. If it happens, that's what it'll be. All right. This was really fun. I'm glad we. Uh, I'm glad we did this. Thanks for having me. On your Good show. luck with the movie. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks to Cousin Sal. Thanks to Ethan Hawke. Thanks to the Supreme Court. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to go to ZipRecruiter.com/bs. Thanks to Gillette. Gillette offers a variety of shaving products for every guy, regardless of his personal style, skin needs, or budget. Whether you want three blades or five, the new Gillette three and five, Gillette five razors, three and five, Gillette three, Gillette five, three and five. Have you covered all under $10? High performance at a low price. Get Gillette performance delivered to your door. Find Gillette five at GilletteOnDemand.com. Subscribe today. Back uh, after the lottery, maybe Tuesday night even. Who knows? Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Go Celtics. Celtics.